The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome, folks, to the Unprecedented Podcast. I am Cliff Schechter here with my co-host, I think calling in from Mount Kilimanjaro, John Aravosis. <laughs> I'm calling in because technology sucks. It just sounds like he may be somewhere on the Serengeti or... <laughs> Maybe the Andes, um, but he, he is with us uh, in the great non-state of Washington, D.C. Um, we are happy to be guest hosting Leslie Marshall's show again. It's been a while since we've done this. Great to be back on this election day. Lots of things are looking up. Of course, we're still nervous because we have to be. Democracy is at stake, but but so far, anecdotally, so far, the polls that came in towards the end, we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about the ridiculous Republican last-minute anti-Semitism, even after George Soros was getting bombs and even after people were murdered at the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh. They just can't stop themselves. They just don't care, frankly, as long as they win. Um, and then we're going to talk about, uh, you know, right-wing media because apparently Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and all these people, I know this will shock you, who pretend they're actually members of the media, really are partisans. And they showed up at a, a Trump thing the other night, and Sean wrote out on Twitter that he was all shocked because he didn't expect it to get called up on stage. And you can put that up there with uh, uh, mysteries like uh, who killed Kennedy and uh, will the sun come up tomorrow? Because I, I, Sean just you know befuddles me. I, I, I don't know what to think. He's so clever. Um, what should we start with, John? Well, I think it might be interesting to start. Uh, you know, I think we should sort of dig in and talk about some of the polling we're seeing today, exit polls, et cetera, just sort of the latest numbers, because I think that might be the most interesting thing. People are, you know, we're all worried about what's really going to happen tonight. So let's talk a little bit about that. All right. I think that's a great idea. Why don't we start with a little meta? Um, yeah. A lot, I'm sure most of, of people listening here have heard of Nate Silver. He kind of made a bit of a name for himself in this whole numbers game. Um he actually put something out the last minute uh, about the about joint various probabilities of what will happen. And, you know, the, the most likely probability of the Democratic House and a Republican Senate is 68%. But the next one in line is a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate with 18%. So those two possibilities just by themselves get you up to 86% that you have one, we win one or both. The, uh, you know, and, and so you have to be feeling at least relatively good about that. Um, he also incorporated a couple last minute polls. They, they froze all of their models, um, I think either at midnight last night or whenever. They don't put, take anything in from today. But with the final polls coming in, some of which we can go over, um, the, uh, the, and, and the overall poll coming in on the, uh, the uh, partisan composition and what people, people want a Democratic House, Republican House. Kind of at the the last minute, we we moved up from eight an eight point Democratic lead to a nine point Democratic lead, which may not sound like a huge amount, but it actually is, because um, yep. everywhere you get above sort of six or seven is where it becomes more and more likely um, that Democrats 
take a, a, a large uh, majority. Um, also important to note, actually, you know, actually, so we don't, you know, you know what was interesting? Nate was yeah. even saying that by his analysis, I agree with you. I always heard six or seven was the uh, generic, uh, you know, ballot that we wanted was six or seven points ahead of the Republicans. Nate says as long as Democrats are five point six points, so five point six ahead of Republicans, we win the House, which I was very surprised. That uh, well, that's something I'll take. And, and he has, um, and he has us, as you said, at. 8.7, I think, is his exact number, so we're already three ahead of... In other words, we're very yes. where we want to be. We're all scared to death because of 2016, but this is where we want to be, at least in principle, which is good. Gotcha. Um, so this is interesting. Um, huh. You know, I mean, Nate has his different models. I'm not going to go into all of that because that's too yeah. much for even me. But why don't we also, because we don't want to just talk about one person, Larry Sabato of, of the University of Virginia has been known for this for a while. They put out their final expectations. Very interesting. They expect that, um, that the Republicans will pick up one Senate seat, which I think would upset us, but wouldn't be when you consider what the map is, is not a terrible right. outcome. Um, which, so we'd be at 48 instead of 49 where we are now. But they, he, they also said, and they were calling their predictions conservative in the sense of it could go bigger for Democrats. They didn't really expect it to go worse. But, you know, OK. Um, the, the House was, they, they said 34 seats was their prediction. Um, and they said they, but with, they said all it would take is a little bit to go the Democrats' way to take that from 30, 34 seats to about 45 to 50. Um, uh, and, and then... Uh, on the on the governor's side, and people forget how important this is because a lot of policies we all know. Those of us who live in swing or red states know. I live in Ohio. A lot of policies made on the state level. It's where a lot of the bench is created. Um, they you know they test run some of these policies in these places, especially Alec and these right wing groups. And so it's pretty damn important that they actually went above where I think anybody else has been, and they are projecting a ten governor pickup by the Democrats, which I can't tell you. And the states they're predicting. Um, Michigan, Ohio, um, uh, Florida, I mean, right there, three huge ones. And if you, you know, Wisconsin, and if you can under, you can't overestimate the difference that will make in a 2020 presidential election if Donald Trump has not yet been shackled in a FedMax prison somewhere um, and is running for re-election somehow, uh, you know, he won't be able to rely on Rick Scott in Florida. Uh, you know, he won't be able to rely on, I'm sorry? And redistricting as well in 2020. Talk about that a little bit, John, because I'm, I'm you're because you're yeah. you're way out in the in the mountains. I'm doing more talking here. Go, tell people about that a bit. <laughs> no, it's just it's just another thing people have got to keep in mind is part of the reason Democrats are so screwed in the House is because of all the gerrymandering where Republicans created districts so that so that we so that we couldn't get the majority you know in the Congress in the House at least so that if we win more governorships if we win more state legislatures we will have more power to influence the next redistricting in 2020 which again will draw the districts for the House and hopefully we can equalize things from where the Republicans were before so this is this is a hugely important election at the state level for that reason. That's right. Yeah, I mean, all that's important. And, and, and some of the states that are even smaller and where that wouldn't happen. But just in terms of creating a Democratic bench and having Democratic stars and, and also, you know, showing we can govern and win in red states. You think of Doug Jones in, in Alabama, but you also think of, oh, what's his name? See, I can't even think of him. Uh, the governor of Montana, who's a Democrat. You know, right. when we win in states like that, well, 
there are three states they're not even including in this estimate of states they expect us to win, or, or at least two of them, uh, which are Oklahoma and South Dakota. We, we are currently in toss-ups, and we could win. And I think that's incredibly important. And, and they may not be Democrats that you and I agree with on some things, but the truth of the matter is, as far as I'm concerned, is they hear at least our economic message and our message at least of social inclusion in those states. And I think that's so important to counteract you know, the Rush Limbaugh Fox model, uh, you know, of, of telling, every, right. of dividing people. So, you know, and Kansas, we have a, a very good shot at beating Chris Kobach, who's another one like Brian Kemp in Georgia, who's doing everything to stack the deck in his own favor as the Secretary of State. So that and Georgia are two key. They, they wouldn't, the only one they wouldn't predict was Georgia. They said it literally is on the precipice, it is almost directly equal, which scares me because Brian Kemp is already, you know, not. Oops, I forgot power cords for those polling places that are African-American. Right. Sorry, they're, I mean, you know, they're, they're cheaters. But, but overall, that's the meta of the situation. Talking about Georgia, a number of great polls came out. One, which is a personal favorite of mine, I, I love Lucy McBath in Georgia 6. That's the Ossoff district that we lost in a special election, um, but right. we came really close. And, in, and they've said where we're going to likely pick up are these suburbs of places like Houston, uh, Atlanta, where where voters are, are in huge numbers are coming our way, and they've also registering minority voters. Um, and McBath is in this poll here, uh, done by Healthcare Voter, out to see the polling firm, up 51 to 45. And that, that mirrors another poll where I've seen her up six points. So I thought it was crazy at first, but I've now seen her up on Karen Handel. Now, you may, people may remember McBath lost her son in what was a stand-your-ground murder in Florida. Um, on the other side, the Republican handle people may remember because she was the one who pioneered trying to discriminate against Planned Parenthood when she was at the Komen Foundation. So it's a yeah. huge race. Yeah. That's a big one. There's Michigan 6, um, which Fred Upton has been there for almost forever. It's an R plus 4 district. It's an Obama-Trump district. South, uh, Eastern, no, southwestern Michigan includes Kalamazoo, the city, you know, and some other areas. So some cities, some suburbs. Um, we are Long John, who is our guy. I don't know his first name. I apologize for hers. 42 to 40. I think we're being kicked out, um, which means Cliff Schechter is not paying attention to uh, when we've got breaks and these kinds of things. Um, so we have a break coming up. Sorry, guys. It's been a while since I've done terrestrial radio. We'll be back and we'll continue on polling and so many other things. Welcome back. This is Cliff Schechter. I'm here with John Aravosis. We are co-hosts of the Unprecedented Podcast. We're filling in for Leslie Marshall on the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, I think where we left off, folks, we we're talking about some, some great polls out there. We did some sort of looks overall. I'm just going to read a couple more quick ones because I figure we might as well get it in there. Um, the healthcare voter did. We talked about the uh, Lucy McBath up 51-45 in Georgia 6. Uh, Michigan 6, we'd gotten to Long John beating Fred Upton. 42 to 40, which is huge. Fred Upton's been there for a long time, and that's a Trump-Obama district. We've got Alyssa Slotkin, who's a big favorite of a lot of people, beating Bishop. 47-46 in Michigan 8, another big pickup opportunity. North Carolina 13, which wasn't even supposed to be a race. We've got a tie, 43 Manning, 43 Bud. Uh, and Virginia 2, one of these Virginia seats that's not where we could have, we'll know early because Virginia polls close relatively early. Um, and we could have a huge night. We've got Luria at 47, tied with the Republican Taylor at 47%, which if turnout's going the way I have heard, and again, that's anecdotal, it could be a really good night there. But let me throw it to John. We've got some other really important things going on right now. Yeah, Cliff. You know, what I wanted to talk about a little bit was a uh, really horrific story today in the Washington Post. And what was interesting is it's a new story. It's not, a, it's not an opinion piece. 
which really shocked me because I was reading and thinking, okay, is this somebody with an agenda or what? But in at least six races across the country, the Republican Party is running ads painting Jewish Democratic uh, you know, politicians who are up for election as sort of evil people holding dollars in their hands, you know, throwing it up in the air, covered in money. In one case, the person is even painted green. In another, this one really bothered me, in one in Pennsylvania, um, Sarah Johnson Rothman, and that is her full name. She goes by Johnson Rothman. They dropped the name Johnson in the ad, so they simply kept her as Sarah Rothman, because Rothman is a clearly Jewish name. Johnson is not. Right. And this is this is the Republican Party doing it nationwide. This is not uh, fringe groups like in Florida. You know, we had those racist ads. Uh, not Florida, I'm sorry. And, uh, well, actually, in Florida, I think we had racist ads, and in Georgia, uh, you know, against, against Gillum and Stacey Abrams. But they were, you know, fringe Nazi groups, whatever, we think. We don't really know. Of course, it could be regular Republicans. But in this case, it's actual local Republican parties that have decided to paint Jews as money-grubbing people with, you know, lots of money around their face. And in talking to the experts, you know, the experts roundly said, this is anti-Semitic. It, what was really interesting to me was a lot of the, uh, you know, the Jewish experts on uh, you know, anti-Semitism said, this is exactly what what the Nazis did during World sure. War II and in the lead-up to World War II. Um, they even provided the Washington Post with copies of Nazi advertising and, and uh, you know, anti-Semitic memes that the Nazis would spread that were exactly the same thing as what the Republicans are doing. And... I guess, you know, and, and, what's, what's and you see it in, in dictatorships yeah. right now, too. I just want to be, say that quickly because I think it's sort of a perfect, useful context to this, which is the Orban, the leader in Hungary, who is a fascist, essentially, uh, and has been one of the, the, uh, the authoritarians who's taken over in various parts of the world, uh, constantly has posters about George Soros and how he's trying to, because Soros is originally right. Hungarian and has pushed for an open, you know, a country he believes in an open society and democratic society. Same thing with Vladimir Putin, who's used the sort. I mean, I'll let you continue, but but this yeah. is of the same thing as these George Soros conspiracies. Exactly, except that you know that's the kind of thing you expect from a Hungarian dictator, even though it's shocking right. to have it happen. <laughs> I mean, it's still shocking as hell. We we don't really want rampant anti-Semitism anywhere, you know, Europe at, at say the least. Um, no, my point wasn't that we don't expect. My point yeah. is we're doing the same thing as Hungarian oh, no, dictators and and Putin here. Yeah. Like I agree with you, it's shocking, it's despicable, and yet it's Hungary, it's you know, it's Orban, it's Putin. I expect it from them. The fact that that Republican leaders are doing the exact same thing. Is, is abs- I, I almost cursed by mistake there, John. I'm glad, I'm glad yeah. I caught myself. It's despicable. It's absolutely despicable. So that's exactly that's exactly my point too. Is that I hate to say, I hate to say, you know, we expect it from Europe because I don't. And there's been horrific anti-Semitism in Europe of late. Uh, in the last few years, there's been a, there have been a lot of attacks on uh, the French in uh, French Jews. Uh, attacks on synagogues. I mean, real violence we're talking, really horrific stuff. So I'm not excusing that by any means as to say, oh, you expect it in France. But you really don't expect the kind of fascist policies that we've seen in Europe, where you literally have fascist policy, uh, fascist parties, you know, like Le Pen in France, like the Hungarian party you talked about, um, like the Swedish Democrat party, which actually, yes. you know, that's the name, was founded by Nazis. <laughs> you know, you almost expect some of that craziness on the fringe in Europe, and it's becoming less fringe, but you don't expect it here in the States. And right. it's just, you know, some of these ads happened within the week. 
within a week of the synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, they did. Uh, well, I mean, we think about the order of things, John. Yep. I mean, think Go about on, it. Sorry. They all sort of coordinated their attacks on George Soros. They, they're on Fox talking about the Zionist, you know, about the Soros occupied government, which comes right from the Zionist occupied government propaganda. It's almost like the protocols of the elders of Zion. OK, um, you have you have that going on. And then you've got, you know, Donald Trump himself and every candidate I've seen dozens of congressional districts. The congressman in the district I'm in here, Steve Shabbat, did this stuff. George Soros, George Soros, George Soros. He's controlling everything. He's coming in from out of state. He controls the media. I mean, these are the, the oldest, most base anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theories, right? And then, of course, yep. the guy gets a bomb sent to him in the mail. So does Tom Steyer, by the way, who actually is, is I believe, I think he's Episcopalian, but his dad was Jewish and has a name that sounds right. just Jewish enough to them, and he lives in San Francisco. Same with Michael Bloomberg, who they, they, they constantly go after, another coastal Jewish guy in finance. So they paint this picture, and then even after the shootings at the temple and after those attempted bombings, they just keep going. I mean, I saw the local yeah. feed here for the Hamilton County Republican Party tweet out something about Soros. You're talking about these other guys. We heard them; these guys say it, the, the various people running for office kept saying it on TV and had to be called out on it, had it in their ads. I mean, it, they, they, nothing, just nothing will stop them. Nothing will shame them. It just doesn't matter to them if people get killed. I mean, they're the most despicable people. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that is something where I, 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 I realize this is something that we all knew kind of. You know, I almost, when I discuss these things, you know, I, 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 you get some feedback where people are like, hello, you know, you didn't know they were this way. But, but I will say, I think this really goes particularly far. This kind of anti-Semitism from a major American political party is shocking. Having it happen after the synagogue attack where I believe 11 people died is, yeah. is just abominable. And we've, we've got to be ready as Democrats and as progressives, as anybody who isn't a Trumpster, to accept the fact that this is how far the Republican Party has gone. And this is how far they're willing to go. They're willing to go as far as it takes to win elections and keep us down. And that is a very scary thing. Um, you know, we've got a break coming up, I think, Cliff, but maybe yes, right we afterwards do. we can pick up if there's anything else to talk about here. And then we'll uh, maybe talk a little bit about Fox News, your favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, that and, and Rush Limbaugh. We'll be back, folks. John Aravosis, not exactly here with John. He's in by phone. Uh, he's traveling around the world as we speak. I'm sorry, I can't just, I just can't stop laughing. I make I'm myself not traveling laugh. around the world. I've been, I've been Washington D.C. with a terrible computer that won't let me connect to the show the normal way. So I'm, I'm reporting from Kathmandu live. Election results. All right, man. We get the Bob Seger song rocking while you're out there. Um, exactly. So, what do we got? So, uh, I, I, we, were, we were going into the break talking a little bit about the, the Republican penchant for anti-Semitism. Um, let's see, what do we have here? I, our, our wonderful producer, Mr. Mark Grimaldi, who I'm sure you're all familiar with, has sent me a note. We are granting credentials to the Des Moines Register or any other leftist propaganda media outlets. No concern for reporting the truth. Um, so is, is maybe Steve King's going after the media? I don't know. Is there, is there some sort of a Jewish implication in there? It's not like Steve King is a, is a white supremacist or anything openly. 
uh, and a member of uh, our government and a Republican in good standing, who, by the way, folks in Texas, is, was, was the campaign chair for Ted Cruz's presidential campaign, and Ted still loves him. So keep that in mind as you vote. Um, but I, I think, I mean, you know, we got to the point of it. I mean, they're running completely on anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Um, it's not just that, obviously. There's attacks on immigrants. There's attacks on Muslims. There's attacks on African-Americans. And, of course, we know that somebody in, in Louisville, Kentucky, walked, tried to get into an African-American church, couldn't get in, then went to the next door Kroger and shot and murdered two people there just because they were black. He said to somebody, white, we have to all stick together or something when he walked by them and didn't shoot them. This is, you know, again, th this is not sort of, this, this is the kind of stuff that, that, uh, CIA, FBI people who analyze these things look at uh, in terms of radicalization. Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, that crowd has led to the radicalization of of many, many, particularly white males, but particularly rural, lower uh, income, lower education level whites in this country um, tend to be older, more fearful of things changing, and it's had terrible results. It's 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 had uh, shameful results, and they will not stop. And so. You know, just when you see that aspect of it and you're sickened by that, then we get reminded, oh, yeah, that's right. Fox and Rush and all of them, not that you didn't know, this aren't actually real news outlets. They're propaganda. That's all they do. They service whoever is, whichever Republicans are in power. And how do we know this most recently beyond the fact that the station was started by a Republican operative, Roger Ailes, and all the various Republican operatives who, through the years who've been on there? Um, we know this because last night at a campaign rally, uh, that Donald Trump was holding Sean Hannity to his great surprise, as he said on Twitter, because it wasn't planned, folks. No, really, it wasn't. Uh, was called up on stage, and Rush Limbaugh got up on stage and spoke too. And so, uh, I mean, I don't know what if they're you know if, if they're even bothering to keep up the facade anymore. Fox put out some mealy mouth sort of we don't condone this. I'm sure, Sean will get a couple slaps on the wrist for that one. Um, but interestingly, there are people who are increasingly Fox is becoming toxic for this reason. Uh, they're the ones, as I said earlier, the, the, who mentioned the Soros-occupied government and had to apologize and take a clip down. This garbage is on there all day, every day. Thankfully, the people at Media Matters and some other places pay attention. And I think we're reaching a tipping point. I mean, Bill O'Reilly had to leave the station. Glenn Beck had to leave the station. Eric Bowling had to leave the station. Roger Ailes, before he passed away, had to leave for various transgressions, whether they be sexual assault or, or uh, other things that they've done there. But I think the overall atmosphere at Fox... Uh, the encouragement, the incitement of violence um, and and the division. You know, I've seen Angelo Carasoni, whose you know, greatest hits were trying helping take down Glenn Beck's show. One of the original people to put that sort of Soros chart up there um, of all the evils controlled by him. You know, I, I think he's hinting that after the election that there's going to be a major effort to just remove all advertisers, make them ditch Fox, get people to turn Fox off in all of the airports. And I mean, I have to deal with it being on in my gym for example. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I said, I, I'm ready to sign up. You tell me where to go. Um, you know, Cliff, I mean, I what's, what's been really interesting to me is I, we had uh, Paul Begala on our uh, unprecedented podcast uh, several weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago at this point, and we were talking to Paul about this. And Paul said that, you know, he... He thinks it's fine for Fox to do what it's doing. We just need to do what we do. And, you know, the whole sunshine thing where, you know, more we need more speech, not less of it, and we can beat them with the freedom of words and blah, blah, blah. And I think that... I respectfully disagreed with him. <laughs> who, who got Go ahead. with me back when, um, uh, with the, you know, the basic I guess, terrorist attack, if you want to call it that, in Charlottesville, where the neo-Nazis 
over endorsed by our president, uh, you know, ran over Heather Hale, Heather Hare and killed her. And you know, I was talking about uh, freedom of speech and the whole issue of letting Nazis march and all of that. And a lot of people were saying, yeah, but you know, there's this theory out there. I forget what it's called, but that. You know, if, if basically everything's stacked against you, that you can't just counter, you can't always counter speech with more speech and expect to win. And I was kind of pushing back, but I've been thinking about it with regards to Fox. And the problem with Fox News is we're dealing with monopoly speech. We're not just dealing right. with somebody with a powerful voice. We're dealing with somebody with a monopoly voice. There is nobody else for, I don't know, 40, 45 percent of the American people than Fox News. It's the same problem we have with Sinclair Broadcasting that we've talked about a lot you know, on our show, and I'm sure Leslie's talked about a lot on this show, in that you know, when you have monopoly control over the information going to your people, you are state TV, and you have all the problems that go with being state TV, with being Pravda, with being a television station run by Putin, run by the dictator. And, yep. and it's not just enough to, to say, well, you know, we've got CNN to say, or CBS and ABC to say, well, that's not true, because people don't believe it. It was bad enough once upon a time that we had the he said, she said, that Fox would lie and ABC would say you're wrong. And they'd say, well, you know, maybe it's both. Now we've got Fox and Trump and everybody saying, oh, no, the other guys are just totally fake. So only believe what Fox tells you when right. we've seen just how bad Fox has gotten with the lies. And it worries me because it's gotten to the point where it is usurping our democracy. It is undercutting our democracy. It is actively supporting fascism, and now it is actively supporting violence, as we've talked about. Right. And, and treason, and, treason. and yeah. Well, and, and maybe just to tie this together briefly with our with the earlier discussion we had about the Republican Party openly embracing anti-Semitism. It's it's this aspect of the whole Republican apparatus willing to go farther than any of us thought they would go. That even when we're talking about violence and domestic terrorism, I would have thought that that's when the Republicans would have would have backed up and gone, whoa, you know, domestic terrorism, that's something I don't want to touch. Maybe that's bad. Cool, right? I mean, I'll cool down. That seems self-evidently bad, doesn't it? <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Right. You'd think at least, at least, and I'll kind of finish with this, but at least with domestic terrorism, the Republicans and Fox News and the president would say, you know what, we don't want to be caught dead, no pun intended, touching an issue like that and fomenting even more domestic terrorism, so we'll back off just for our own survival. They said, let's go full steam ahead, let's keep talking about the caravan, let's keep talking about George Soros, and let's keep attacking Jews like you see now happening with these Republican operatives nationwide. We, are, we have to start thinking like Republicans and say, what would they do if Fox News was yep. Democratic? They would go after us with everything they could in the law. That is they correct. More laws. You've talked about the Fairness Doctrine before, and maybe, maybe talk about that in a second. But they would yeah. look at, and then, and as we said, the advertiser boycotts. They would say, we are going to destroy you if you are truly a cancer on this country, and they are. Right. So, I mean, a couple of things are going on here. And, I'll, you know, we've got about four minutes, I think, to our next break. I'll try to get, to, to get into them. But, I, I mean, the big thing for me, and I love Paul Begala. He's one of my favorite people in this entire business, I think I can say. Um, I just happened to very – and I, I just very much disagree with him in this because I think we're looking at different issues. He said – his whole thing was, you know, that speech – more speech will, will be the answer to bad speech when it comes to winning politically. Now, that potentially is true. The problem here is that I'm not talking about winning politically. I'm talking about people being killed. You know, um, I'm talking about people inciting riot. 
I'm talking about people sharing. It's, it's, you know, if they want to go on their stupid station all day and say Democrats are bad, you should vote for Republicans, that's one thing. But if they weave conspiracy theories about, about you know, liberals doing it, if they weave a conspiracy theory, you know, if on a Fox News debate, for example, Carly Fiorina, the one I like to bring up, gets up and, and says she saw a video where there were baby parts and a live baby was being aborted just so that so people could have the parts of it, um, which didn't exist, and, and, the, and the result of that is a guy who's unhinged walks into a Colorado Springs Planned Parenthood right after that and is muttering about baby parts and shoots and murders a couple people? Well, that's on her and them. You know, I get it. There's free speech, but there's responsibility with it, too. And so I can't I, I would never say she's not allowed to say some of these things. But we do have limits in society. We do say you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. In fact, you also can't threaten the president's life. And so I do think we need to start asking ourselves questions. There's also, uh, well, I'm about to say this, terroristic threats you can get in trouble for. I mean, we need to ask questions about what is allowed to be carried on air and what is allowed to do it under the rubric of news. Why do they have to have an, I mean, even if they have the right to say this, do they have the right to be actually give, granted a news license? Because maybe they shouldn't. Maybe there needs to be an objective meter about whether people are telling the truth or not. And then we need to sit there and need to look at that. And if people are, are outwardly sharing lies, they're no longer news. There needs to, as you brought up, the fairness doctrine. We need to make sure that, that there is fairness. Uh, politicians, I think, should have, there should be free airtime to respond to certain charges. It shouldn't all just be about what money you raise. Same thing with news. It used to be if Fox is going to have on some right-wing loon, they've got to have somebody on to answer them. That's potentially another answer. I think the, 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 the best one, of course, is with advertisers, because at this point, who do advertisers want? They, they want the exact population that, is not, that, that, that thinks what Fox does is, is horrendous, right? I mean, if Fox can't get anybody under a certain age, if everybody at Fox, because that's where most people are older and whiter, and whatever, but if they can't attract anybody who's younger because they're toxic, Advertisers, advertisers aren't going to associate themselves. That you know, people that want to sell their products to a more a younger, more liberal-minded, diverse populace, eighteen to thirty-four, you know, or eighteen to fifty-four people with disposable income, you know, they're not going. To, if, if we associate them with the white supremacy, racism, sexism, you know, anti-Semitism, sexual assault, and the rest at Fox, that's going to become a real problem. And you've already seen it because some people have pulled out. I mean, I'll tell you this: the NRA does this kind of stuff. It took a while after Parkland, but it, it kind of went unnoticed by a lot of people because there's so much going on. But just this past week, after the Tree of Life Synagogue, uh, FedEx dropped their partnership with the NRA because the NRA was saying, NRA's response to what happened at Tree of Life was, well, they should have been armed because that's the response to everything. And finally, FedEx was like, you know what? Um, we're, not, we're not jumping in with the, with the anti-Semitism contained in that statement. It's Jews' faults they were killed. Uh, so I, I do think that that is actually maybe that's the, the, the best path on this. Um, but there always might eventually be billionaires who will prop up this propaganda, even if they're losing money. Uh, once you take away their corporate sponsors, we have to ask ourselves, what else is it that we can do without saying, you know, we're going to restrict free speech? And I think we need to ask these questions. Uh, we'll, we'll be taking a break, folks. Uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes. We'll be right back. This is the Unprecedented Podcast, filling in for Leslie Marshall. Welcome back, folks. This is Cliff Schechter at the bottom part of the hour. I'm here with John Aravosis. We are the Unprecedented Podcast, filling in for Leslie Marshall. So, folks, um, hopefully we've been talking about this show. We win. We get better. We fix some things. Um, what should we do if we win, John? What the hell do we do? Uh... There's a lot to do. 
Um, you know, and one thing I hope people are going to see tonight, as a friend of mine, one of my political mentors told me years ago, winning is a lot better than losing. And it sounded kind of like a, you know, obvious aphorism or whatever until in politics you go through it. And my God, it's better than losing. Um, but so hopefully tonight we will win the House. If we win the House, um, you know, there's a legislative agenda, which I think maybe you'll talk about in a second. I want to talk a little bit about more generally the kind of things Democrats can also do to to right the ship of democracy. Um, we will have hearing power. We will have subpoenas. If Democrats run the House committees, they will have the legal power to compel witnesses, including members of the administration, to show up for hearings regardless of whether they want to. They will be able to force them to turn over documents regardless of whether they want to. They will be able to get Trump taxes and maybe even release them to the public. Although you know Trump will put up a legal fight, I don't think he's going to win it. They will, as Adam Schiff has already promised, uh, Democrat from California, they will reopen the Russia probe and we will finally have a truly independent investigation from Congress of what the hell has Russia been doing to attack our country, what did they do, and who helped them. Huge things. Then you get the emoluments, right? You've got all of the graft, all of the Trump, Trump, uh, the Trump Inc. and Trump himself and Don Jr. and all the, you know, the Bahrainis and everybody else who come here and they lavish money on Trump through his hotels. We'll have investigations of that. And maybe a final point to mention and then jump in is there's the Mueller probe. We don't know whether Mueller is going to end the probe shortly. Some people say they think maybe he'll end it by the end of the year, maybe early next year, but we don't know that for a fact. What if he discovers something new in the next month, and then there's another six-month investigation? What we do know is Donald Trump wants to get rid of Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Sessions has already pretty much made clear he's going to leave. When that happens, you now no longer have a reason for the Attorney General to recuse himself from the Russia probe because it was Jeff Sessions who had to recuse himself. If we have a new attorney general, he won't have to recuse. And if that happens, he now is in charge of overseeing the Mueller probe. So we would have right. Trump's handpicked guy, his political guy, who's not a Justice Department uh, you know, career guy or gal, overseeing yep. Mueller and trying to basically you know, stick, stick, you know, throw, throw little shoes in the machinery, as the French used to do with the, the word sabotage came from, throwing their little, their little slippers in the, in the machine to try to clog them up. So, you know, that really worries me, and we will need Adam Schiff and others to actually have the legal power to hopefully, and the moral power to publicly be able to take that on, and with hearings, you can. So that's huge. Uh, I don't know if you want to jump in on that a little bit. Well, yeah, I would, I would add, I mean, that's the important thing. At least we take back one house. Um, because that gives you a really big mic. Taking back more attorney generals' offices and governorships, they have a lot to say, and they can sue the federal government over a variety of things it's not doing, and I think that's important, too. Um, if we actually are able to take the Senate, um, which, again, is still within the realm of possibility, um, uh, then, it's, then there's that much more. I mean, I think they should... So there's two other things I would investigate, I'll say quickly. <laughs> One is we have to get to the bottom of everything that happened with Saudi Arabia. Um, it's, to me, as... As, you know, as potentially toxic as what's going on with Russia. We have no idea what Kushner's relationship is with MBS over there. We need to know what happened, how it happened. The second thing I would say is what happened with the absolute tragedy of Puerto Rico with the hurricane and what we did not do there. I think that's the kind of thing that we've always in the past as Americans want to know if, if a mass failure like that occurs. 
Um, and so I would say that, but I also, I, I would have a legislative agenda. Even if we only take the House, there are things you'll get attention for. Um, obviously, when you're, when you're looking at winning back the allegiance of, of working people, and I should really just say working white people because we have allegiance of other working people, um, you have to think about certain ways to improve people's lives economically. Um, I would look at minimum wage. I would look at some of the some of these other bills that, that uh, I was one the other day that Sherrod Brown uh, had had thrown out that had to do with with uh, CEO pay versus what workers are being paid. In other words, companies that won't pay their workers enough, like Walmart and others, that they have to go on corporate on, on government benefits like welfare, that those companies be taxed for that. Um, things like that. I think that, that to show who, whose side we're on, I think are incredibly important. I think protecting the election system. And strengthening Obamacare should be two things immediately that we should do. And again, Trump will, be, will probably veto all of this. If we don't have the Senate, it'll be tough. But you start putting together that agenda, making it clear to people what it is uh, that we will do if given the full power of government. So I think all that's important. I mean, look, I think they're going to be so busy doing investigations because we're supposed to, to care about our government, not, our, not the people who inhabit it. We're not a government of men or women. You know, we're a government of laws and rules, and it must. It, and for us to go forward and to clear out the, the what what is currently inhabiting that White House, that wildebeest in there, and everything, all the toxicity that comes with all of them, we need to sit there and do an actual counting of what has happened. It's required. It's in a democracy. So I think they're going to be very busy with all of that, but they're going to have, and they're going to have much bigger mics, and that's going to be important. Let's, let's first everybody vote. That's one of the most important things I need to remind you of. Before we go off the air in a couple of minutes, everybody don't care whatever it is, even if to wait in line hours in a perfect world, you would you shouldn't have to do that. That's the Brian Kemp's and the Chris Kobach's and the others of the world. Everybody get out there and vote. This is your democracy at stake here. Every vote counts. I could sit here and list a dozen elections that were won by less than than 25 votes. You know, um, on top of that, I think uh, I think that's about it. John, maybe we should tell people a little bit about our podcast. Would you like to do that? Um, folks, you can go and subscribe to our pro- podcast, which is called the Unprecedented Podcast. You can, uh, first of all, you can go hear a couple free episodes and lots of snippets for free over at unprecedentedpodcast.com. That's president like President Obama, that kind of president. So unprecedentedpodcast.com. You can also go then subscribe to our podcast where you actually give us money and you help us stay alive and feed my dog and feed Cliff's kids. A hungry uh, dog. Patreon. That's patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. One more time, patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. Um, you know, we'll see, folks. I mean, I am, as I said, I'm, I'm hopeful about tonight. I know things can change. I know we can win this. I am hopeful we will win it tonight. You know, the country let's, isn't dead yet. This is the money. Let's price. tell people, John, quickly, if you have a problem voting, as Mark was nice enough to just send our way, www.866, the number 866rvote.org, www.866rvote.org. Don't let anybody stop you from voting. It's your right as an American. Um, get out there, vote. I'm confident too, John. I think we're going to wake up to a much better America tomorrow. Um, with that, I'm signing off. What? Darn it, we better. Thank you, folks, for listening. Unprecedented podcast. John Aravosis, Cliff Schechter, in for Leslie Marshall. Have a great night. Hopefully, we'll all be celebrating, uh, and uh, the hard work of governing will be coming soon. <laughs>